and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schiffel. And that's the Jones. And episode 190 is upon us, Jens. 190. We are so close to 200. And wasn't I saying, haven't I said for last year that we would make it to 200 by the end of the summer? We are so close. We are. End of July, 10 more to go. When, when does summer end, Jens? Summer ends as soon as we hit 200. <laughs> the never-ending summer. We're going to have summer drawn for the next 10 weeks. So. It's going to be like Game of Thrones where summer lasts seven years. Yes. End of summer. I like that I'm already Googling stuff uh, at the, <laughs> the beginning. Um, the beginning of the podcast. Um, end of summer is September 22nd. September 20th. Yeah, Saturday. 26th? 22nd, yes. 22nd. Yes, so uh, you may be right, possibly. Um, of course. Yeah, it, it might Have be. Have I possible. ever failed you? We'll see. We'll see. Don't answer that. You, yeah, it's it's possible you fail us. So it's also possible we'll get to episode two hundred before the end of the summer. So we have, you know, two already lined up from uh, Guitar Fish Festival. This is uh, part two of the Guitar Fish uh, Quadrant. I mean, you call it what is that? What you call it? What would you call it? This is a three-part is a trilogy. A four-part is a trilogy. A, a quad. Quadrilogy. Yeah, a quadrant. A, qu- a quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. <laughs> a quadrilogy. That's a good question. Uh, quad. Quadrilogy. Let's do it. This is the part, part two of the quadrilogy. <laughs> that is. Uh, or, it could have been, or it could be a trilogy plus one. It could be. Um, are we getting into Roman numerals now, or like <laughs> IV? Uh, yeah, there we go. IV. Yeah. It's so an IV. this is that, and uh, off to a banging start already. Uh, we're featuring Conbrio on the podcast for the second time, yet my third time interviewing them. Um, the The lore goes that my first interview with Conbrio, which I did at the Fillmore in San Francisco legendary music venue incredible band um disappeared never to be seen uh by the um, light ever again as some shithead stole my audio equipment from uh my car that he broke into uh while i was inside the concert venue so well bloody bastards yes so uh so that interview didn't happen they were gracious enough to uh do the interview um I think later that year when they played uh, Bottle Rock here in Napa. And um, I also got to see them do a jam in the van session, uh, which was really cool because they're all of them are jammed in the van. Uh, And I mean, there's like seven members in Conbrio and uh, and they're in this van playing music. And it's really awesome. And I was say it again. They're in a van. They're in a van, and uh, and I was in the so van. You with know them. what I'm going to say. I'm like, down, yes, down so by the were river. You guys in a van down by the river. Down by the river. Yes, uh, that joke is not too old or dated at all, Chris Farley. Yes, uh, it was. Uh, the the upper river wasn't too far away. I guess they weren't down by it. I'd say they were more on the fairgrounds, but the the river flows pretty close to uh, the fairgrounds. So I will. Allow it. Good, good, good. Were there any coffee tables involved that got smashed because somebody fell on one? You are really going down this SNL train, aren't you? 
I am sorry. Yeah. I'll uh, stop. Yeah. All right. Uh, no, that didn't happen. But uh, but Conbrio did play the Guitarfish Festival, and oh, what a performance! God, I tell you, like Zeke, the lead singer of Conbrio, is. I mean, he's out of this world like an amazing performer. Um, you can compare him to Michael Jackson, uh, Bruno Mars, a little bit of Prince, wow. in, the, Prince yeah. in there. He's got that level of stage presence, and it's only a matter of time until the band explodes because they are great. So we'll get into them in uh, just a, a few minutes. Uh, but before we do, Jens, uh, how can people get a hold of us? Well... People can get a hold of us by listening to our podcast because on the podcasts I mention how people can get a hold of us. That is a good place to start. (laughs) That is a good place to start. So anyway, social media is everywhere. So go get on it and you can check us out at Facebook, Concert Pipeline Pod. You can check out Concert Pipeline at Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And um, every now and then, Periscope. At Concert Pipeline. You got it. Um, and uh, and so lots of ways to get a hold of us. Subscribe to the podcast. Provide feedback. All of that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, definitely reach out if you want. Um, all right. Jens, you have a, a story for, for us here. Uh, what, do you, what do you got? What ha- How's your week been? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. Okay, so... I think most of us are familiar with what a backseat driver is like, right? Yes. Like, can you, can you think of a recent backseat driver experience you had where you were kind of borderline, I'm going to, you know, choke this person soon? I can't think you know, of that kind of level. I can't think of that in particular, but I can think of a time uh, recently that my girlfriend, Tracy, uh, she was nervous about my driving to the point where she wished there was a break in the, on the passenger side and she pushed down, <laughs> she pushed down like there was. And I asked her, how's that brake working out over there for her? <laughs> was she pushing down is like a hint she, or like she was making fun of you or uh, she literally was like, Oh my God, break now. It's, it's one of those in, I think instinctual things where she's, she's like, now's a good time to stop. Let me see what I can do here to help the situation. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and she tried to do it. Needless to say, I stopped on time, you know, maybe a little bit slower than she would have. Uh, <laughs> took me didn't a little, rear t- end anybody. T- took me a little longer to slow down maybe, but, uh, didn't hit anybody. No, yeah. didn't, didn't skitter anything like, yeah, no, it, was, it was fine, but it was a, it was a funny moment. So, She's she handles my driving pretty well though, you know. So it's a that's good. Well, okay. So my wife is probably one of the worst backseat drivers alive. Um, She has these compulsions to you know tell you how fast you should drive, tell you what lane you should be in, tell you if you should be going faster or slower depending on what's going on around you. uh, tell you which lane you have to be in before you, you know, make a turn somewhere. It's like, it's, it's not, it is, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So the thing is we went to go visit a family friend, uh, who she is, um, uh, she's 
Turkey, and uh, she has dementia. Um, she was recently diagnosed with that, um, mm. so her memory is getting worse. Um, and uh, she's at the point now where she can't really remember stuff that happened, you know, the previous day. Um, but she still has a sense for things. Uh, so I had both of these people in the car, and uh, Helga, before she had dementia, was always a, a backseat driver, almost like Maria, probably not quite that bad. Yeah. But now that she has dementia, it's, it's, much, it's much worse. So now I've got, uh, you know, I had the brilliant, of, a brilliant idea of, of, of driving these two around uh-huh. um, to go on this little outing uh, so, you know, our friend doesn't get so lonely. Um, by by herself in that house, so we wanted to take her out. And we uh, she lives in San Francisco, so we went to the um, the flower place, the conservatory in Colgate uh, Park, and then um, walked around a bit to go get flowers. And uh, we decided, well, let's go um, let's go out to dinner. And these two women decided to tell me how to go to their favorite restaurants at the same time. Uh huh. So I didn't know like who to listen to <laughs> because you know they want to go to different restaurants, not the same one. Yeah. Um, so I I figure I, I you know the best thing to do here is just to listen to Helga's instructions because she's got dementia and uh-huh. I don't want to confuse the hell out of her. <laughs> so, um, so your wife's telling you to, to turn just, right, and Helga's asking you to turn, telling you to turn. Yeah. Right. And right, and we we both know Helga's out of it, and she might not even know where the hell she's telling us to go and meanwhile you just want to go straight and drive right off the cliff you know and uh meanwhile i want to drop both of these two off uh-huh. and not lose my mind right <laughs> so, you guys figure it out i'll come back in half an hour um so yeah so i'm like okay i'm just gonna follow Helga's instructions here and we we didn't make any advanced plans anyway so it didn't really matter where we were going uh, we didn't have reservations you know we weren't uh we hadn't talked you know before about what our destination is going to be so so I thought, okay, I'm just going to go where uh, where um, our older friend wants to go, and uh, we'll just find out where we end up. You know, maybe it'll be a restaurant, maybe it'll be a gas station, maybe it'll be a grocery store that she goes to. Who knows? Um, she didn't tell you what the place was. Driving us? No, she couldn't remember. So she's like, these are the directions. She couldn't remember. Yeah, but she knows how to get there, so she doesn't know. She she can't describe. She can't describe the ad. I mean, she can't describe what type of restaurant is, what the name of the restaurant is, what kind of food they serve, what the cross streets are. None of that. She could just say straight, left, right, and we got there. It was amazing. It's like we got there, and it was Pacific fucking Catch of all places. Okay. Which is a place that uh, this woman, you know, never goes to. She's she's usually really into. Um, the you know the really good kind of hole in the wall corner restaurants that serve amazing you know Chinese food or whatever. But here we go, we're at like this trendy chain, um, and uh, and I'm just laughing, you know, that we made it there in this place, and then I survived not strangling two people in my car on the way over. Um, and then, uh, and then we all sat down, you know, and we ordered our drinks, and then everybody got their drinks except our friend. Our friend was looking at the water she got and said, "I ordered a beer." <laughs> Did but she 
right? She never did. No, of course. Um, but I think she was there the day before. I think she was there the day before with her friend, uh, her neighbor friend, because um, I knew that they were doing a, a little outing. Uh-huh. They had probably ordered, she had probably ordered a, you know, a beer at that time. And she was just confusing the days. Yeah. And so from the day before, <laughs> anyway. she, yeah, from the day before, she didn't remember the yeah. name of the place or anything, huh? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, we, we asked her, well, where did you go out the, you know, where did you go out to dinner the day before? And she, she didn't know. She couldn't tell you anything about it. But if, if you said, oh, did you go out to dinner last night with Amy? She'd be like, Oh yeah, we had a great time. Blah blah blah. blah. But she couldn't really tell you all the details. But she she could acknowledge at least the event that happened. Mm. Don't get old, man. No, I don't know. get old. That stuff does and not don't sound have more fun. More than one backseat driver in your car. That is the moral of the story. Oh my gosh, I don't envy you at all. That does not sound like fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh well. No. Well, good times. Um, anyway, good times, good times, but. Yeah, so uh, so we're going to get into Conbrio here in uh, just a moment. Again, this is from uh, Guitar Fish Festival, and this was the second interview that um, that we did uh, later than the, in the night after we interviewed uh, uh, Midtown Social, right? And, uh, and so uh, we were hanging out. We, we saw Midtown Social perform. Uh, how they had a, a really great performance, and... Um, and then uh, Conbrio was coming up a couple hours later. So I'll tell you, I went back to the campsite and and I rested because I was pretty exhausted. So I, I just like closed my eyes for like 30 minutes or something because I'm freaking old. And uh, apparently naps are a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, as a, naps are a thing. Naps are great. As man. you know, I think you've had one pretty recently, haven't you? I fell asleep waiting for your ass. Right. <laughs> yeah. I did. I was like, I was like Steve Jones, five minutes into a movie, like boom, uh-huh. gone, snoring. Yeah. Didn't even hear the phone. Nope, not, nothing. You're out. You're out like a light. And uh, uh, so I, I did that, and then we went and uh, uh, and we were checking checked out. Uh, we went to do the Combrio interview, and. Um, and so I interviewed Andrew, the drummer from uh, Conbrio. Uh, Zeke wasn't available at the time. We could have interviewed him after the set. That you know his manager was totally cool and said that you know he'd be available to answer some questions after. But um, but the set set went until like almost midnight, and uh, so it was it was a pretty late night performance at least in term in my terms right like uh i don't know i'm not i'm not gonna make it until 1 a.m waiting to do an interview you know maybe or anything like that Uh so before the set afternoon or the evening is a a good time to do an interview for me right um oh my god right bless you um and uh yeah and so the backstage at this uh this festival uh which is where we were i mean it's just so chill and cool you i mean you uh people who don't who aren't supposed to be backstage just don't go there's no security this whole festival is just chill and relax and um and uh, a lot of fun they have some cool food vendors around and uh and all that um mm-hmm. yeah and so i went backstage and i talked to andrew and and had a really 
really great conversation with him. Uh, he was a, a lot of fun to, to talk to. So we're going to get into that now. Before we do, Jens, um, I want to uh, I want to play a song that they uh, played at uh, Guitarfish. This is a song called Too Lit to Quit. Here it is. I'm Andrew from Combrio, and you're listening to Concert Pipeline. So 
am here with Andrew from Conbrio. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, so how has your day been so far? It's been all right. We just drove up here from the bay, and it was, like, crazy hot. Yeah. So that was, we lost about 10 pounds in water weight, oh. but uh, it's been pretty mellow. We got here, good food. Uh, we did this a few years ago. Yeah. So there's a lot of familiar faces and uh, Midtown Social is playing right now. Right. And there are buddies from San Francisco. Yeah, we talked to them like, a, a, you know, before they're set. Right. So, yeah. so it was really fun getting up here and seeing yeah, them. Yeah, they were saying they're like hanging with you guys yeah. and everything. Always so. a good time. Yeah, yeah. So how was the festival last time you were here? Awesome. It's really, it's it's a lot of fun. It's, a, it's like small but mighty, you know? Yeah. Like everyone who comes here really loves music and you can tell because everyone's here to have a good time and listen to music and not just kind of be somewhere. Sometimes you go to festivals and it sort of feels like they're just there to be there. And right. this one feels like everyone really came here to like be in the music and stuff like that. So Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. No, this is really cool. It's just great being outdoors. Yeah, it's gorgeous yeah, setting it's too. You yeah. get to camp and everything. Are you guys going to be staying the whole weekend? Or are you guys no, gonna go? we have to play in Oregon tomorrow actually. Oh, so okay. we are going to leave tonight after our set at oh, some point. Wow, okay. Yeah, I think we're driving a few hours. You don't sit still very long. I mean, no. you were just in France, Italy, yes. the Netherlands. Yeah. Tell me about that experience like being overseas. It's awesome. It's so much fun. I mean, we did... Um, We've done uh, the Netherlands and France before. Yep. Italy was new. Um, and it's always really fun going overseas just because the way they run stuff is a little bit different. Um, sort of, the, it's fun to see how different crowds in different countries react to different songs. Yeah. You know? Um, and what translates exactly the same. Um, whether lyrically or even just like emotionally, like in the set, oh, when we do this in America, it works exactly the same as in France or the Netherlands. And then there's some stuff that like works differently in other countries. And it's just, it's interesting to see how that all plays out, so. Yeah, it was your first time playing in Italy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so tell me about, like, what did you do there? How was Italy was awesome. Italy was amazing. Uh, it quickly jumped to one of my, like, favorite places. Uh, I'd never been there. Yeah. We spent five days at the Umbria Jazz Fest, which okay. is in Perugia, um, which is, like, a beautiful little city or town or whatever it is yeah. um, in Italy. And we got to sit there for like five or six days. So that was cool because we really got to wander, see a lot of the city. We weren't, we didn't have anything to do till our sets, which were like, you know, 10 o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night. So we had all day. And you know, you got to make friends there, like locals and people from the festival. We got to like make friends with them. And so then they were showing us around. So it's really cool. It was a really, really fun festival. And some of the acts there were amazing. Um, I saw this band from Brooklyn actually called the Hunter Tones. Okay. Uh, and they're ridiculous, so you should check them out. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sounds, yeah. sounds really cool. Yeah, it was so, super fun. Yeah, and so tell me about when for you this like this band became like okay, this is my full time. Yeah, I mean it kind of happened naturally. Yeah. Um, there was never necessarily a moment where like I had to decide but it was sort of decided for me just because we got busier and busier and busier. And then eventually all the stuff that I was doing, it, I was just unable to commit in the way that those bands needed me to. Yeah. Um, 
in order to like push their music the way they wanted to be pushing it. So it just kind of happened, you know. Um, I had this one drum teacher when I was in college. This uh, this guy I worked with, and I asked him. It's like when I first got to college, so I was whatever, 18 or something, and I asked him, I was like, you know, when did you decide, kind of like that, like, when did you decide to become a drummer? And I'll never forget that he just kind of was like, honestly, you're just doing it, and then one day, like, you just do it, you do it, you do it, and then one day you realize this is what you do, and yeah. this is what you're doing. And that's kind of what happened with this band, you know, it's just you keep moving forward, you keep moving forward, you keep moving forward, and then suddenly you realize, that the band's in a position where it's like, oh, like I can just focus on this. Like this is this can be my thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your your parents. Are they yeah, good influences musically? Were you? Uh, was that? They were incredible. They were incredibly supportive, and very much into it. Neither of them are musicians, oh, but okay. they love the arts and music and stuff like that. But I didn't grow up in a like my sister played piano. She was really good at it. Yeah. Um, I have an older sister. But I didn't grow up in a particularly musical household. I mean, my, my parents loved music and listened to music and stuff, but it wasn't, um, it's not like I grew up in like, my dad was a saxophone player and my mom played the violin or like, you know, my mom was rocking the drums or something like that. Yeah, it yeah. sort of was, um, the way I fell into it was my friend when I was like eight or nine got a drum set and I used to go to his house and I played him all the time. So then when I... So his mom had to put up with it. Yeah. You got... And then when I turned like nine or ten, I remember talking to my parents and I was like, I kind of want to get like a drum set. And they were like super supportive. So yeah, yeah, they've always been champions of me doing it. There was no groaning of like, you know... No, never. That's a huge thing. the drums especially. Like are... You can't turn those down, you know? Never. I even talk to them now about like, listen, I'm older. Like I'm doing it. Were there times where you guys were like, oh my God. Yeah. And honestly, they were like, no. They are like, it never even really bothered us, you know? They were they were really incredible about that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how you got together with uh, Combrio. I know you've been with them for you know, a handful of years now. So. Yeah. Um, it all really came together very naturally. I mean, um, uh, we all met through various kind of musical projects in the Bay. Um, like, I met the guitarist on a random recording project I was doing. Oh, okay. The bass player and I had been playing together for a while. Um, uh, I think the saxophonist was someone who, like, someone gave us gave us his number. It was like kind of just like we need a saxophone player. Yeah. And the one we had been playing with moved away, and we knew a few, but we were kind of looking for a certain type of saxophone, you know, saxophonist. And um, someone was like, "Hit this dude up. He's a badass. Like, he's a great guy." Um, the keyboardist was a buddy of ours who was in another band, and right when we started kind of getting going, his band kind of broke up, so he was like looking for a band to be in. Yeah. It's all types of ways, yeah. Yeah, um, and so um, tell me, if, uh, did you grow up in the Bay? No, I'm from Virginia. Oh, okay, so yeah. what brought you to the Bay? Music and stuff, yeah. I moved here about uh, nine years ago, and uh, I moved here originally like with I was playing in a band that was touring a lot and didn't really matter where I lived because I could just I just meet up with them for tours Yeah, and I always loved San Francisco So I was like I just want to come here and play music and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Tell me about your uh, the Explorer and how that album came uh, about for you guys Yeah, it was a little bit of a different process because we worked um, 
last record we had a producer and he was really good at sort of like capturing what we did in the room I mean we did a lot of overdubs and stuff but yeah. it was very like much more like raw and organic this one we worked with a producer that was a little more like pop influenced so he brought that Derek Furman right yeah okay. so we brought that he brought that angle to the table where certain sounds or ways that he wanted to record and stuff like that, which were a little different. The, also, the biggest difference with this one was the last one, we write everything kind of as like a band, more or less. Someone will bring in a tune and sometimes it's done. Sometimes it's just an A section and then we build a B and a C section. Sometimes Zeke has lyrics and then we work on it. Sometimes I'll come in with a drum beat. Like there's always different ways. And we did that on this one too. But the, the other variable that we added was we worked with outside people as well, like outside songwriters, yeah. um, just to get a different idea, just to get different ideas. I mean, the seven of us are together so much. It was sort of like, well, let's get new new blood in here. Like so where do you find the thinking. outside um, Just songwriters. random, I mean, not random, but just like people we knew yeah. and then people our manager knew, people that some musicians that we know knew. Like it was just sort of a hodgepodge of people. Yeah. And some of them worked out. Like we wrote songs and some of them worked out and some of them didn't. And some of them were like, ah, you know, it's just not what we're trying to do on this record or whatever. And that was interesting too, was was hearing the different ways people wrote songs and sort of knowing, or not knowing, but figuring out what we didn't and what we did want to do. So yeah. it was like the title of the record. We were exploring a lot of different yeah. things. And that's part of the reason that the album got the title is we really were exploring a lot of different ways to make music on this record. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a great album. I'm, Thank I, you. I really love it. Yeah, we worked hard on it. And it was a learning experience. And, you know, there were, there were ups and downs. And there was a lot of really amazing moments in making the record. And honestly, there were a lot of moments that were really trying. Yeah. But I think that it was... Uh, an, overall, it was an incredibly positive experience because, like I was saying before, I think we grew a lot as a band, as a unit, um, and learning that we are we have a lot more of the same goals in mind, and learning when to flow with an outside force yeah. and when to stick up for ourselves with an outside force, right? Because you don't want to hinder. Like like a eighth person that we bring in, like an external songwriter. You don't want to hinder their creativity, but you also need to know what you're working towards as well. And I think that was something that we all learned together. You know, yeah, so it was really fun. It was a good, it was a good and, time. And so it came like it feels like it came really soon after Paradise. Like I mean, does it? That's right? great that it feels that way because yeah. it does not feel that no, way. No, I imagine <laughs> it's it been. It was almost like two years. So yeah, yeah, it's a long. Yeah, it felt like a long time. Especially you could tell our manager that because he <laughs> okay, was like, yeah. get us a record. I know, you know? But, yeah. Yeah, pushing for it, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's the other one was 2017, so it was technically yeah. still last year. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. We were so almost it's, on it's, the two years. You no, know, it's not. Some bands wait three, four yeah. years, and you're like, okay. We're not the there deal, yet. You know? no. We're not big enough to wait three, four years yet. We need to be, like, putting stuff out every, like, three months, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, do you go in with a, a lot already kind of prepared like stuff to do right on the road where we don't ride on the road that much we try to it's tough, yeah. we try to but it's kind of tough I feel like it's a little easier I feel like sometimes when there's like a singular songwriter like some you know like so someone can like go hole up in their hotel room and write a song yeah which sometimes some of us do 
But because we sort of have such a collaborative process, it's kind of tough. We've, we found that maybe we'll figure out how to do it. But as of now, it's, it's, we're not the fastest at writing on the road. So what we usually do is we set aside time where it's like, we're gonna work on new material now, um, whether it's in San Francisco or sometimes we'll even like go like somewhere out in the wilderness and just disconnect from everything yeah. and just have like a little writing retreat where it's just the seven of us hanging out, you know? So we tend to work better in, in um, situations where we're not you know, blah, 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 you know. Yeah. Plus our touring schedule is pretty hardcore. Like usually when we're out, we play mo a lot. We play a most of the nights of the week. So then if like, you know, you just played six shows and you have a yeah. day off, sometimes like people really need that day off. You gotta you know? take like, a day sometimes. Yeah, Zeke might need to rest his voice or, you know, someone need like uh, the bass player does a lot of like kind of back end stuff for us. Like he might need to catch up on some shit for us. Like it's just, it just depends, you know? So we're yeah. working on it though. It'd be great if we could write more on the road. We're, we're trying to get better at it, you know? It's like, yeah. yeah. And you have a rehearsal space in Oakland? Do you you go yes. Yeah. 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 So we were in Oakland. You play there a couple. You practice there a couple nights a week too. Yeah. Exactly. When we're in town, we try to do at least two nights a week. Sometimes we'll do more, depending on what's going on. Like if we have something we're working up towards, or like whatever. Sometimes we'll try to do more, but we try to at least do two days a week when we're home. Yeah. Two days a week. Yeah. yeah. Do you, Do you get time to be home like throughout the year? Or do you feel? Like yeah. It's on time? and off, and it depends. Like we're gonna do. We've been gone for about three weeks. We, then we were just home for two days yeah we're gonna be out on the road again for another three days and then we're home for two or three days and then we're out for another two or three weeks yeah then when we get back we're home for like a month yeah but then september october november we're pretty much like gone the all three of those months so yeah it's yeah but then december is like generally chiller because you do a lot the touring life slows down, but you know, you might do like private, like there's private events, like Christmas parties or holiday parties or like whatever. So like those things kind of happen and yeah. Yeah. I, I saw you at Bottle Rock and, um, and you guys did the j uh, jam in the van. Oh yeah. And that was really, I mean, I was in the van with you guys yeah. actually for that. So it was cool. I mean, a really cool yeah, it was fun. performance. I mean, like, how do you prepare for something like that? How do you approach it? It's different than... When you're obviously playing on stage, you have more room to spread That's out. Interesting. You're... I don't know if we approach it so differently, really. I think yeah. we used to try to be. I feel like we used to try to like tamper down what we would do because it felt like we're in a small space. Like when we would do not jam in the man, but we we had done other things like it in the yeah. past. Um, and then when you go back and watch it and listen to it, and it just sort of sounds like us watered down. And so we sort of realize that like when we do these things, it's like just do them, like just yeah. play them how we play, like be the band that Don't we hold are. Back and yeah, just be the band we are. I mean, like for me as the drummer, it might mean that like I'm not smashing the hell oh, out of yeah. my drums because it's a small space. But as far as the energy or what we're trying to do, just just do what you do. And I, I so I think we. We, I think that's, we don't really try to change too much, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you guys uh, recorded a video the other day? I saw a Yeah, yeah, we just, yeah, we, a music, yeah, we made a, we're making a music video. Um, Which song? Uh, for, for Body Language. Okay. And I think, um, 
is hopefully we're kind of like trying to churn it out. So yeah. I think it's going to be hopefully out in the next few weeks, oh, okay. like three or four weeks. It'll be out. So yeah. what's the story there? What I mean with the, the video? Can you tell us anything? Uh, it'll be a surprise. Okay. Okay. Uh, it'll be fun for it to be more of a surprise. But it's going to be re it's really, really fun. We worked with this director, Pete Lee, who did the music video for Money. Okay. And this yeah. one's di very different from the last one he made. And he, he's a great guy. He. Um, he just came out with a short film called Don't Be a Hero, which was doing great in all the uh, Sundance, like all these film festivals. Um, so yeah, if you're listening and you want to check out Pete Lee, Don't Be a Hero, and then find all his other work. But he, he's he's a total badass, and we we again because it was such a fast pace. Yeah, we filmed the whole thing from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Wow, over one night. Wow, and he. Just did the never stopped. Twelve hours straight. He yeah. never stopped. It was incredible. Like he was he's a hero. Oh. His movie's called Don't Be a Hero, but yeah, Pete Lee yeah, is a hero. A hero. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, don't be Pete Lee. No. Yeah, yeah, don't <laughs> be a Pete Lee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that sounds really cool. Look yeah. checking it out. Yeah. Um, and so on the new album you have Heart Shaped Box, uh, cover of that. Tell me where, where the decision to, to cover that song came from and also the approach, you know, to, yeah. to it. Um, we had a day off uh, in Georgia, and the bass player had been kind of talking. We had been talking about doing it, and um, on that day, the bass player kind of was like, guys, let's like kind of work on it, you know? And so he kind of pushed us all out of the van to like set stuff up. That was one of those days off on tour. No one wanted to do anything. He's like, let's do this. So then we were like working on it, you know, and then... Um, you know, Zeke's kind of there catching the vibe and like, oh, what if we try like this, try like this, and someone else might throw this out or this out. We knew that whenever we work on covers, we always know that we don't want to just do it like the band. Yeah. Yeah, We're, exactly. It's unique. We, we it's, always it's, try to make, make it our own. It our own um, and, and I think we do better at it that way than we try to just do the thing. And um, I mean, it just kind of came about where... It honestly happened all in kind of like an afternoon, a bulk of it, and it worked, it just worked really well. I know for my part, like the drum part, um, I wanted to be really spacious, and uh, the song's called Heart Shape Box, right. and the, the drum part is like really simple, but there's kind of, the kick drum pattern is just like a series of kind of 16th notes spread out just two at a time mm -hmm. that I was doing on purpose to kind of have like a doo doo. Like a heartbeat kind of vibe, right, you know? Right. Yeah, and it just kind of like have that kind of, you know, whatever. That was my contribution to like a heart shaped box. It's yeah, kind of like yeah. somewhat of a heartbeat underneath for the drum beat. That's creative. I like it. Um, but yeah, it was it was really we all love that music, uh, Nirvana and stuff like that. And um, we we all spanned age range in this band. So like some of us like were you know in middle school or high school even when Nirvana like. Broke, right. so that band was like meant a lot, you know, and um, and they're just they stretch generations, you know. They're one of those bands. It's just like everyone knows them, everyone loves them. But um, yeah, it's a really fun one to work, and it kind of kickstarted a lot because we were, to to be totally honest, we were in a bit of a creative slump at that point. We had been working on some stuff and yeah. just times where you work on music and it's just not clicking. You know, it's like it's sometimes it's just work, you know. But what about this song? And you work up a song, and then you're like, it's just not that good. And then you work up another song, I don't know, and like, whatever. And then we did that, and it sort of really was like, oh, yeah, 
great. Got the creative juices flowing. Yeah, yeah, like we're good at this. Like let's keep doing this. And then it was like it kind of a lot of stuff avalanched after that. Does that come back to like do you feel pressure to to put out more more music, new music? I mean, you kind of yes. alluded to it a little bit. Yes, like, yes and no. Yeah. Um, yes, I think there's definitely pressure, but I I think that we're more prepared this time. I mean, the last record really took us. I mean, that's, it's what we're all aiming for. Yeah. But it took us by surprise as far as like how far it propelled us. I mean, yeah. we did multiple world tours. We did all, this is a young band. We'd had an EP out, yeah. which, which was the first time we went overseas with just an EP. And then the next record, it's like, whoa. So I think we didn't realize how much preparation we should have been doing for the next one. Yeah. And now we're way more, like, not way more, we're a little more seasoned. You know, now this is going to be our third record. And so it's like we understand that, like, we're already contemplating and we're already working on new stuff. And I think that because of that, it won't feel as much. Like, I think we felt pressure for the last, for this, for Explorer, because we got caught a little bit on our heels. Because we had been touring so much and not even thinking about writing stuff. Yeah. That then suddenly it was sort of like, oh, we need to put out a record. And like we need to put out a record in the next like, like soon. Right, you know? right, yeah. So it was like, let's do this, you know. And then that's, and then I think that just adds to it. And then, and it's hard to create in that kind of environment to when you feel like it's, you know, make a song, yeah. make a song. Yeah. Like that's not a good way to make a song. No, you know? no, you don't get your best work done that way, right? Yeah. So I think we're being much better about it this time yeah. yeah and so the new stuff how far ahead do you are you like planning are you like okay this is going to be for 2019 or you know you're you're for the new stuff we're making yeah or well yeah okay i mean the new it, yeah, yeah the new the stuff when we start working on new material yeah. and we have some old material that didn't make it on this one that we might try to rework and have it but the, as far as like new new stuff yeah i mean we're looking ahead to like you know we would love to put out another record in like a year yeah. instead of like oh, a year and eight months year however long it was nine months however Long between Paradise and Explorer, right. we would love for Explorer and the next one for it just to be a year or even a little less or something. So we've been we're we're looking forward to that already. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're you're playing the Hot Monk Tavern on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Tell me about your New Year's Eve shows. What do you? I feel like it, it'd probably be a pretty big party for you. It guys. is. Like, yeah. We always try to add some new stuff, some covers, or just some fun new elements to the songs. It's always a big party and. Um, it's kind of one of those gigs where everyone wants to have such a good time that it kind of feels like if you just go in there and you do what you're supposed to do uh, and like you know prepare a few special things you know the night can go really well you know it's and and it's always fun we like playing big parties you know and that New Year's Eve is like one of the biggest parties you know so yeah now you you got married pretty recently uh yeah right. I well I like the bass player got married oh, okay. a year ago I got married like two years ago what was it okay I, I remember seeing I feel like I, I think I have you on Facebook or something yeah and uh um like everybody was in white oh is okay that, is that, so am, that I, am I totally mixing some of them no 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 you're not so we okay. Had a wedding. We had a wedding. Okay. Our wedding was in Missouri. Okay. With family and stuff. Yeah. But it's far, and it needed to be kind of smaller, so we couldn't invite everyone we wanted to. And plus, it's kind of expensive for everyone to just fly anyway. You know what I mean? Right. So we told, and we have a lot of musician friends trying to save money. Yeah. So what we told everyone was, we had two weddings okay. basically. Okay. We had a wedding with all our family and yeah. so and you know friends and all that. But then in California, me and my wife and I 
rented a uh, little ranch out up uh-huh. in Northern California and just had a three-day, like, basically festival with all our friends. Yeah. Um, and we called it the Psychedelic Wedding. Okay. And we did it, uh, we, we've done it two years in a row now. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're gonna, we might change really? the name okay, now. Okay. But it's just kind of like a little festival we do yeah. now. But yeah, we, she cool. wanted to wear her dress again. Uh-huh. So on, the, on that day where we did that, we told everyone to wear white. Right, right. Uh, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I don't know yeah. how I just pulled that. Yeah, I that was great, like, man. I mean, that is a deep cut. <laughs> I don't even use Facebook anymore. Yeah, but yeah, I, but yeah. I remember seeing that. And I was it's like, a oh, deep cut, yeah. Pretty awesome. So. Yeah, it was super fun. It's a great weekend. So. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see you guys. Yeah, again, it's going to be know? fun to play. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no matter the stage. I mean, it's uh, you, you guys put on a hell of a show. Thank I mean, you, man. First Thank time you. I saw you was at the Fillmore. And, oh, cool. You know, and just like I was like, okay, you guys are my were my band of 2016. Yeah. I see, and I talk to a lot of bands. Yeah. And everything, but your guys' performance was just like, oh my god. Oh man, appreciate that. You guys are incredible. Yeah, thank you. You know, Zeke's a mix of many great. All the things, yeah. He's a great front man. Yeah, he's a great person. We always say like, you know, with with a band, a lot of times you funnel the energy and the, you funnel it to a focal point. Yeah. And it's hard to ask for a better focal point than Zeke, you know what I mean? He's a great, it's a a one, he's, he's great at gathering up the energy of us and the energy of crowd and shooting it out you know he's great at that so you guys all bring it though I mean, thank you so, yeah. yeah we try you know it's a unit so we're i feel good about that it's a strong strong crew up there yeah. you know so, so where do you go from here where's the tour we go to oregon okay. and then we go to like salt lake city and colorado we're playing like a bunch of shows in colorado yeah like four or five shows like all around colorado or, so. have you been to red rocks have you we have never played okay. there yet no. okay not yet yeah, I soon just, though. I want to go there sometime. It's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's such a cool place. So. Yeah, man. Yeah. I know this is your cue, so yes. I'll let you go. Yeah, man. Andrew, thank you for taking the time. Of course. And nice forward, talking to you, Steve. To your set, so. Yeah, thanks very much. That was the interview with Con Brio uh, here on Concert Pipeline. And uh, yeah, we heard we got to hear Too Lit to Quit before the interview. And I'll tell you, uh, the girlfriend Tracy, she was stoked on that song uh, because she. Uh, had um, a T-shirt that uh, that said "Too Lit to Quit" on it, and uh, and it had Ninja Turtles on it, and that was you know one of their songs on their uh, new album that they have out. So she was really excited. Wait, did it me again? It said what? Too lit to quit. It did say that. That yes. is fantastic. And it had the Ninja Turtles on it. And so she was stoked, and she showed it to, like, the band members backstage, and the manager took, uh, uh, who is in the band, he took a picture uh, of the T-shirt. And, and so um, when they were performing, you know, she, she weaseled her way up, you know, closer to, like, two people back and was, like, showing them her shirt, like, pointing to it sort of thing. And, <laughs> and the guitarist, uh-huh. like, was like, oh, that's awesome, and, uh, and was, like, pointing it out to, uh, to Zeke. The lead singer, mm-hmm. uh, and and she was beside herself. So um, that's so, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was a a lot of fun. She she had a blast. I had a blast. I mean, they put on such a great performance that it's hard to describe. But definitely check out their uh, their music. We'll put a video up on Concert Pipeline's Facebook page as well, uh, and uh, uh, you get to um, see how great they are uh, live. Really incredible live performance, Jens. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, and so, Jens, it's that time. 
Uh, time for the last segment of the uh, the pod. What time is it? It is time for some music news. That's right. We each have a couple stories here uh, to uh, to share on the pod. Uh, the first it has to do um, with uh, a little band called the Foo Fighters, Jens. You know, we like to talk about Foo Fighters here on the podcast. We, we bring them up once in a while, right? Every now and then, yes. We do bring them up. We do bring them up more often than we periscope. I did see some music news about Dave and, uh, and, you know, a little help he needed in life that music gave him. Is that the article that you are presenting? Um, it might be, I think it's from the same, um, interview that he did with CBS Sunday morning. So, um, he explained his, uh, Genesis as a song. All right, let's hear it. Yeah, he explained his genesis as a songwriter from uh, being the drummer in Nirvana and how music helped heal him in the aftermath of Kurt Cobain's death. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, he says that he says that he didn't even dream of becoming a songwriter during his time with Nirvana, and when he started uh, the first Foo Fighters, Fighters album in '95, it wasn't started with the intention of becoming a record. Um, I remember, you know, I saw a clip of the interview and he was like, yeah, I mean, pretty much said, yeah, you know, the, the, the joke is always, you know, the drummer is going to be the lead singer of, you know, of his own band you know, sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, uh, but in this case it, it was right. So, uh, he said, uh, when I recorded what became the first Foo Fighters, uh, I didn't think it was a record. I just wanted to get up and go out and play something, even if nobody ever heard it. Uh, long before then, I'd been recording songs on my own and never letting anyone hear them because I didn't really think they were that good. I didn't like my voice. I didn't think I was a songwriter. And I was in a band with one of the greatest songwriters of our generation, so I didn't really want to rock that boat. And, uh, and this is where he says, uh, that's a, the famous joke. What's the last thing the drummer said before he got kicked out of the band? Hey, guys, I've got some songs I think we should play. Uh, so I just kind of uh, <laughs> kept it to myself. He was holding on to that. Um, but there's someone uh, who we knew from Seattle. After Kurt died, he wrote me this card. Um, I know you don't feel it now, but someday the music is going to come back and it's going to heal you. So uh, I think that uh, that healed him in a big, bad way, right? Right, right, right. That is, that is awesome. I mean, that's just another, you know, that's one of many stories out there that just shows you how something you know super meaningful in your life can help you overcome you know some kind of tragedy um you know obviously music was the case here yeah i mean it must have been so devastating to for him to like lose his friend kurt especially in the way um you know we lost kurt like it's just exactly you, yeah. you don't ever expect that and that you know and then one day your your life is changed completely flipped upside down right Right. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. It'd be horrible. Um, yeah, it'd be absolutely horrible. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we absolutely love, you know, what uh, what he was able to do, uh, you know, with his life after such a, you know, tragedy. And he's, he's um, you know, he's brought so much, uh, you know, uh, so much of his talent to the world. Um, and, 
know, has a lot of uh, well-deserved fans here. Yeah, he's one of the most outgoing, you know, uh, creative, inspired, you know, uh, and dedicated musicians uh, out there, right? I mean, to yeah. his craft, and he does it his own way. He, uh, for lack of a better term, right. uh, marches to the beat of his own drum. So Right, right. He's right. such a good personality. Yeah. Um, and he's in the news a lot, so it helps us out with our podcast. Right. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Dave. Dave. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, why don't I continue that with a related story? Hit us. Um, let me talk about Francis. Uh, we've never talked about Francis. So, Francis Cobain. Yeah, Francis Bean. Before I start Bean, right. So, Francis Bean, let me talk about her. Uh just real quick before I actually talk about the story. She looks so much like her parents. It's not even funny. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I mean, you look at this woman and it's like, Oh my God, I totally know who your parents are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. She, like even, even if I didn't know who she was, I'd be like, you look so familiar. Who do you look like? You know, and then you'd figure it out. Um, Anyway, so uh, this is a this is a story about um, how she has stated um, that she will never read her her dad's journals. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she has uh, she's made that commitment to kind of not let that be part of her life, I guess. Um, so there was a. Um, uh, there was an exhibition uh, dedicated to the late Nirvana frontman um, way over in Ireland. And um, it was called Growing Up Kurt Cobain. Okay. Uh, this was on July 17th. Uh, and it features dozens of Cobain's personal possessions, uh, including photographs and, uh, you know, things like sketches and clothing and, and such. Um the exhibition was opened by Francis, together with Kurt's mom, Wendy, and uh, sister Kim, both of whom helped to curate the items that were in the show. Um, so, talking about his possessions, uh, Francis said she will never read her father's journals and that she regretted her mother's decision to publish them in 2002. Well, uh, she says she doesn't look through the journals. Um, it feels too intimate, and she just doesn't want to be a part of it. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting, right? I mean, it's it's got to be this weird connection to your dad that, I, I mean, she didn't really know him that well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when, he, when he did that. And so everything, I mean, not everything, but a lot of what she knows about Kurt Cobain is from the, the public and from, you know, his persona and everything she can read about him. And obviously she can have her mom's stories or what have you and everybody's stories of, you know, how incredible he was. But yeah, I guess she just wants to keep that, just give him his privacy, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 And she actually says that she thinks it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, um, invasion of privacy. Um, she says, I can't imagine being dead. And having people know my intimate thoughts, what an invasion of privacy. Um, I don't think it is merited, especially since in his art, he decided not to put out that, uh, that thinking. 
Um, it is a different thing to get to know him uh, through his art, a deliberate public extension of himself. Um, and then she continues. She says, as an artist, you sign an unspoken contract putting your art into the custody of everyone else. That's the deal with being an artist. I really enjoy um, his art, but I find it is a lot harder to connect to his private journals. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So she feels just like it's a, you know, it's an invasion of privacy and um, she feels like she's not certain that other people would have, um, that if, you know, he's not, she's not certain that he would have wanted uh, that work out there. You know, he never put it out there. Um, so, yeah, that's her issue with it. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know what, honestly, though, she's young. Um, so she might be a little uh, premature in saying that she's never going to do this. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if later down in life, she later on in life, she changes her mind on that. But I certainly get her her perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Uh, my next story here, Jens, is... Uh, is regarding the the band Toto. You remember Toto? Yeah, of course. And Toto. They've got a couple of classic hits. Yeah, and recently um, Weezer covered one of their hits, uh, Africa. You remember that story? They did a cover of Africa. Yeah, it's kind of. I don't really remember the specifics of the story. Yeah, well, so there was a 14-year-old kid who... Uh, you know, made a petition online, petition online, and pushed really hard for Weezer to cover Toto's Africa, um, and uh, and so Weezer in turn actually played a different Toto song first, and then uh, <laughs> you know as as kind of like a, a joke, you know, prank back back to the kid and and, and to kind of piss him off, and then later they um, they covered Africa, and they. They've covered it a couple. They played it a couple times. They played it on Jimmy Kimmel Live. They, uh, it's on the radio also now. So it's, it's kind of funny. But it sounds. Uh, it's not one of those covers that's like really creative. It's like it sounds exactly like the Toto version, in my opinion. So, um, mm-hmm. so they covered. They didn't Toto's. do much of a variation with it. No, but but they covered it, um, and so Toto now has released a cover, uh, or they've performed a cover i don't i'm having trouble finding the actual song but they've covered a weezer song in return uh hash pipe um and so only two days after a pair of los angeles djs uh speculated on the idea of toto covering uh, a weezer song as payback for the alternative bands version of africa the men have gotten their wish Toto members uh, Steve Lukather and uh, Steve Pacero stopped by the station to discuss their take on Weezer's 2001 hit, Hashpipe, which they expect to release in the next few weeks. Um, as uh, Pacero explained on Stryker and Klein's afternoon show on K-Rock, it had been the works long before the duo discussed uh, it the other, the other day. Uh, we had just gotten back from the road, he began, but I was here in my home studio where I'm happiest, and I saw all this action going on with Africa. They'd released Rosanna. Uh, they did Africa. Uh, I sent Luke an email on the road. He was in Europe. I said, come on, we got to return the favor. Let's pick out a tune and send it right back to them. 
And from there, took a bit of debate to figure out which song they wanted to record. They listened to Beverly Hills. Um, he uh, even want, maybe wanted to do a real Africa-type version of that. He's thinking about uh, that for a minute. And then he said, you know what? Uh, we want to make it different, but we want to do something rock and roll. Uh, want, they want to show what a good rock and roll band they can be. And they love Weezer um, and the, their music. And so they were listening to a bunch of different songs, and they settled on Hashpipe. Um, felt just felt nice. it had a better melody. So, um, and so they uh, they want they like the idea also of some Weezer fans checking Toto out a little deeper, and at the same time they like the thought of maybe some snooty Toto fans checking out Weezer, uh, loosening their wigs a bit and enjoying some good rock and roll. So, uh, right on. So I guess that'll be out in a couple weeks. Um, the uh, Toto cover of Hashpipe. Wow, cool. Well, it'll be interesting to hear that. Well, that's fun. Yeah, good times. Uh, yeah. So that's the story, Jens. What do you got? You got one more for us? Um, I got a short one. I got a kind of a short story here. We can just uh, end end it off with a little short story. I have one more story, too, which uh, is, is, will be fun to end it on. But you go ahead and, and do your short story. How's that? Okay, sounds good. Um Okay, so uh, our friend Axel, Mr. Axel Rose. Ooh, okay. Uh, just wanted to address some uh, possible new GNR music. Ah, is there new music coming? I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, so let's see. What does he say, Axel? commented on the possibility of some new music uh, coming from the band following the completion of the summer 2018 leg of their Not In This Lifetime World Tour, which has been going on for a while. Yeah, and smashing. I mean, that tour is big time, like making money, hand over fist. Big time money grab, yeah. Uh, It's also a really great show. If you ever want to have an excuse to Bill Beer on a friend of yours, you should go to this concert with them and then do that. Oh, okay. That, I will spill beer on you the next time. Uh, Sounds ne- good. Next time we go, we'll be expecting it. Tour. Yeah. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Although we'll do it in the parking uh, lot. Says, We're going to do it in the parking lot because I'm not going to spend $16 on a beer and then and then spill any of that. So it'll have well, to that's be part of the beer. experience. It's like, oh my God, I just oh. spilled $16 of beer on my buddy at this show that was way too expensive. If I spend, spill $16 of beer on you, it's going to be a 12-pack uh, in the parking lot. Well, so. just don't lick it off, man. Just I mean, that's not happening. Space. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, so Axel uh, says, right now our focus is on touring and the shows. Um... But everyone seems to be getting along, so you never know. So he kind of leaves us hanging, I guess, right? Sounds like he's, uh, they're just kind of wrapping things up with their tour, and maybe if things go well, there'll be some new music. Um, the, the you never know story is uh, always pisses me off because it's like, okay, that's not a story. Tell me something when there's news to tell. Sub- substantial. This is just rumor. I think this is just this little... Story isn't the story, like you're saying. It's just perpetuating maybe a rumor. And I don't it, know. It, it's bullshit. I mean, if anybody knows if Guns N' Roses is going to do new music, it's Axel. So, you know, he does. Yeah. He does know whether he's uh, up to it. You know, I mean, he drives that band, and 
I mean, granted, the other members have to all agree, but there's money to be made. They're going to do it. I, I mean, I, I think there's going to be new Guns N' Roses music, so yeah. I see it coming. Yeah. yeah, as long as the band can be harmonious, you know, just like you're saying, that's the biggest thing. They've got to get along. But I don't know. I mean, they, they, if they come out with an album and there's some good, you know, hits on it, it's still not going to be the same. You know, it's going to be... I don't know. I just can't imagine the it would include any of the GNR nostalgia from way back when. Nah, it, it might be another Chinese democracy, which I think wasn't. I, I don't think it was bad, but it wasn't you know classic great Guns and Roses, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, exactly. I guess we'll see whether uh, uh, there's going to be new Guns and Roses in the future. Um, I, this is this is a story to end on, Jens. You ready for this? I am ready. Okay. Uh, Liam Gallagher gives fans permission to throw anything on stage except fish. No fish. No fish. Under right. any circumstances. Yes. Yeah, so following an incident last week, Liam's no fish policy has been enforced. Uh, and he's told uh, fans not to throw uh, fish on stage during his uh, performance. In fact, uh, addressing the crowds at this fe uh, festival in Germany, he uh, gave explicit permission to throw anything but fish on stage. He halted his uh, set at the festival um, after someone threw a fish on, uh, at him on stage. Which dickhead threw the fish here then, asked Gallagher. Fucking stinky, smelly fish, man. Now listen, man. It really ain't that fucking bad, man. Uh, don't be throwing fish on stage, mate. I've seen a lot worse than this shit, all right? Uh, and, uh, and, uh... Does this shit really happen? I mean, are we talking... Are we talking deep-fried fish? Are we talking, like, raw fish from the store? We're talking a tw about a 12-pound bat, uh, bass fish that, you know, that, uh, just <laughs> whaled it <laughs> I mean, that must have been deliberate. Like, people don't go to concerts on their way back from the grocery store. And so now... At this, at this <laughs> like other, how did they have a fish? At this other crowd in Germany, I guess, without any context to the previous situation, he said, none of you have got no fish, fish have you? <laughs> it's just not happening with a fish. Throw anything else, but no fish. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know what? This is happening in Germany? Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would think that it wouldn't be fish that they'd be throwing. It'd be, you know, it'd be bratwursts and, and, and shit. Yeah, I mean, you, you would think a big old, you know, kielbasa <laughs> would, would be right. Well, that I'm up on stage. Huh? Or if it's a fish, it'd be like this little herring or something. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I thought that was a fun, fun story to end on. Liam and his yeah. fish. So, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's our show for this weekend's, um, and. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to play us out with one more song from Conbrio. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to, this is going to be a really fun one. It's an artist named Steve Poltz. And, uh, I had a really fun chat with him at Guitarfish. Uh, and, uh, and more. I mean, the, he's going to play some fun songs. We're going to, we're going to have a good time with Steve. So, uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Schippel. And that is Steve Jones. And this song is uh, called All Over Me by Conbrio. Here it is. We'll catch you next time. Everybody's still having a good time and I get to a fish. Yeah. We're on the same page, that's right. Have a hell of a night. Yeah.
Let's go.